morning. Now, I hope you will understand, if you've ever worn glasses and you've tried to wear these masks, I can't see my notes, and I could preach for three straight hours, so you don't mind me putting on. I am vaccinated several times, all the state has required, and I'm glad you're here. When our pastor asked if I would uh, supply for him today, he is uh, on a very serious mission. He's attending a convention in Nashville, Tennessee. I want you to pray for him as he takes part there. Today, uh, I am preaching from the book of Romans. And so if you, wanna, if you have your Bible and you want to look it up there, fine. Uh, we're going to put it on the screen. But I'm just glad that you're here today. My name is Bill Phillips. I am uh, a retired pastor. I was just adding it up. I, I decided I followed the leadership of God 58 years ago to be a preacher. I didn't think it was that long, but I started thinking. Uh, I've been married a long time, and it was way before that that uh, I started this mission uh, with God to be a proclaimer. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching from Romans chapter 12. Very interesting passage. It's one that uh, I have studied myself way before I became a preacher. And I found out that it touched my heart. And I pray that it will help yours too. Uh, I've titled the message, Learning to Apply His Word. And really, it's about doing something very specific. It's learning to apply our relationship to Christ in a, a non-believing world. Because if you'll stop and think where we are as a nation, as a world, you will soon discover that we live in an ungodly world where the regards of life are thrown away, rampant disregard for others is prevalent, where God is disregarded, and if anyone speaks of a personal relationship with a living God, you're frowned upon if you ever happen to mention it. I guess we could say, Houston, we have a problem, because we do. We are on a collision course with the facts that God loves us, and some people don't like that. We're on a collision course within our hearts, because we recognize that we have a personal problem. Uh, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things, but I have a God that will forgive me if I ask. I have a God that loves me in spite of me. There's a little song that we learned when I was a kid, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, Jesus loves you anyway. He loves you whether you're committed to him or not. He loves you. He cares about you. And that's what this whole message is about. So let me read from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Wow, that's a heavy. 
Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some heavy stuff. I read that and I used to think I knew what it meant. And the more I've read it, I found out places that God is saying, you need to work on this, Bill. I'm trying to get through to you on this. So today, I, I want you to work with me and see if we can do that. When we learn to apply His Word, the first thing I want you to notice is that a, a living sacrifice to God requires a transformed life, a life that is changed on the inside. And so as we begin to look at that and understand what that means, uh, there's at least three things we could point out about it, but I left some space in there. You can write them in the corner if you think of something else, because there's many more. But a living sacrifice is a life that is given to God, given to Him. This is where I started out. I grew up in the deep south, deep south Louisiana. My ancestors were Cajuns, French-speaking people that, well, it was like my grandmother, would, great-grandmother would start talking to me and she'd break into French. I said, Maman, Maman, non parlez-vous français? Oh, mes chers. I mean, oh, my son, I'm sorry. And she'd start talking right back into it. She didn't understand or wasn't able to speak a lot of English. Why should she? Everybody else around her spoke French. And so she did. And as she got older, I watched her grow. She had become a Christian. She was raised in a group that the only thing she heard was people speak in another language. It wasn't English. It was Latin. She didn't understand it. But somebody told her that God loved her and that she was important. And she listened. My great-grandfather was Olenti Gotro, and my great-grandfather was, was a, a wonderful old gentleman. He had become a Christian and had given his life over to try and understand God, and once in a while he would, he would try to say things to me, and he would, in, in English, I could understand him. I learned a lot from the old gentleman. Uh, many times after church on Sunday, we would drive the 50 miles down there and have lunch with with my grandparents and great-grandparents, and I learned from them the importance of serving God. I realized, though, personally, that I was a rebellious young man. I started out early with lies and disobedience to my parents, and that doesn't have to wait till you're 13. Right? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it sure does. And I started understanding that I was a sinner. I remember in the second grade, I started figuring out the Bible says that one of these days, God is going to come back and we'll meet with him. So I figured this thing out. It also said he's going to come when you least know it. And I would go to bed at night, and I honestly, before my God, I'm telling you this the truth, I would go to bed at night realizing I was a sinner and needing to make recompense or whatever it was with God. And I would say, Lord, I believe you're coming now. 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 And I'd get, I'd get so tired. I said, Lord, maybe there's somebody else to start believing you're coming now. And I'd go off to sleep. Many a night I did that. 
I thought about it for at least two years as a kid growing up. I grew up understanding that I needed God in my life. I didn't have him there. I knew facts. I knew words. But I did not have relationship. I remember there was a particular time in church one time. I walked up to the front and told the preacher, I want to give my heart to God. He said, that's fine, son. Have a seat. And I did. And you know who sat down over there? That same little old boy that was in the bed for the last two years saying, I wish you'd come now. I wish, I wish you'd don't come now. Don't come now. Uh, I was no different sitting on the front row. It wasn't walking down an aisle. What was it? Preacher said, we're glad he's come. I said, well, what did I do? I just walked across the church. And I bowed my head, and I, I thought about it later. I bowed my head, and I said, God, I want you to forgive me and come into my heart. I want you to wipe out my sins and take over my life. I was about 11 years old. I started crying. You know why? I had relief, finally. I had given it up to God, and he changed me. He started working on me. And by the way, he hasn't quit. I'm bigger than most of you. <laughs> He's got a lot to work on. But that life was given to him. I had struggled with being good and was never good enough to be inwardly changed. But in my life, it came when I asked him to come inside and change my young heart to please him. So when you learn to apply, there's a, a second thing you could do. It's a life desiring to please him. When I gave my heart to Christ... I wanted to please God. How do you please God? Well, you go make something for him? He's already had one of those. Well, what do you do? His word says you listen and you obey. There's an old song written, oh, probably a couple of hundred years ago. It says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to What's the words? Trust and obey. Because you, you can trust God. God loves you. He cares about you and me. And he wants us to do it. So a life that is designed to please him is this way. The Apostle Paul had a life-changing experience on a road to Damascus. The Bible tells us he met Jesus and was totally changed. Then he spent the rest of his life finding ways to help others to see the need. Today we're reading from his letter to people living in Rome. This book in the New Testament has been a life-changing book to read. Many passages are now embedded deep in my own memory. They point to a clear direction to make a personal peace with a God and then to live a life of joy and fulfillment. And that really is God's desire for us, that we have joy and that we please Him. So how do you please Him? You do what He says. I think it makes him smile. If you think God uh, smiles, that, by the way, is a big, fancy, long word, anthropomorphism. That means applying to God the things we understand, that he pleases, that he smiles. God loves us and cares. He wants us to please him, and I want to please him. And that life, that life that we try to do pleasing him is a life of spiritual worship. That's what it's about. In other words, in all that I walk and do and say, it ought to be a life that I'm, I'm worshiping Him with my life. Now, I have a lot of hobbies. 
My wife thinks that maybe my hobby is cooking. Oh, I cook. I'm a good cook. I don't clean up well. Uh, she has to go behind me and spend most of her time cleaning up what I tried to cook. I, I just don't do the good that. But th then I, I thought maybe I was going to be a, uh, a person that would uh, maybe work on old cars as I retired. I still have a car in the backyard. It's just rusting away. I told my daughter she could have it, and she's letting it rust away too. But it didn't make that. I ended up finding a hobby that I had played with as a old 12, 13-year-old kid, amateur radio, and had just loved it. But you know what? I found that even in that hobby, I found a way I could help others. I became a chaplain. Uh, somewhere along the line, I also had have a degree in accounting, and I became the treasurer. We, I just did things like you do. Every person here has a place you can be, and as you give your life back to your community, back in your area where you are, you can be a spiritual, worshipful person that you can give back to others in what you do. And I believe that God wants us to find ways to help others. Just as Rachel mentioned a few minutes ago, she mentioned about us uh, helping out people over at the school and what people do when they just come and join or visit our church and say, yeah, this is who we are. We'll, we donate money over there. You know what? That changes lives. Do they know we did it? Maybe. Maybe not. Does that matter? No. It doesn't matter that what they know. They'll find out eventually, maybe. But the thing is, who helped us? Who did this? We do it. And I believe God wants us to do those kinds of things. You see, that is spiritual worship. So how do we do that? What is worship to you and me? I personally believe we can worship as we pray, as we recognize God has been active in our lives. We pray for wisdom in a situation. Oh, boy. I want wisdom, not what to do. Wisdom covers the whole blanket of all of it. We had a, a meeting yesterday on Zoom, and the president of our group says, uh, we asked our chaplain to pray, so I prayed. Both times I prayed for wisdom. You know what? We had wisdom. As we came through the end of the day, the decisions we made were good ones, and I believe it's going to be a help because we prayed for wisdom. Now, as you look at this, we pray wisdom in a situation even when it works out, and we say, wow, that was God at work. He loves you, and he loves, well, he loves even me. He wants to demonstrate his love for us so that we can ask him to live in a holy, pleasing life. That's reasonable, and that becomes spiritual worship, that you take everything that who you are. You say, well, I'm just a housewife. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity. By the way, my mother was a great housewife, and she raised a bunch of kids. All of them are in church. All of them are serving God. I look back, and I think of the things that you and I can do that we could plug in and say, I believe that's spiritual worship. If it isn't, ask God to help you improve it, and it'll become that. Let's look at the second thing, and oh, these big words. I had to take a whole class in it one time in seminary. It's called ethics. We don't offer much of that in college anymore, but they do have some classes that way. 
But really, a transformed life produces ethical results. Now, for that, I moved to the last part of chapter 12. It's a long passage, but I want you to know where it is, and I want you to be able to plug into it as time comes along. Now, this is what it says. Love must be without hypocrisy. So, detest evil, siding to do what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ooh, that's a biggie. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Oh boy, let me say that again. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. Wow, leave room for his wrath. I wonder if we do our wrath, if he says, well, <laughs> if you think you'll handle it, I'll leave, I'll leave it with you. <laughs> but he said, leave, it, leave room for his wrath. He says, God says, I can handle it. And I, he, he does. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But, and then, by the way, that was that last little phrase, the Old Testament. And then Paul reached into the book of Proverbs, and he quoted this. Now, you listen. Paul has Paul's such an interesting character. As he wrote, he would say things, and I could almost see him saying, you get a chuckle out of it. But listen to what Paul said. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. There we go, that evil good stuff again. Well, let's see what this does. As we look at this thing of being transformed, it produces ethical results. How do you apply his principles? Well, without play acting. The word hypocrisy uh, came from two Greek words, and we just almost brought it into uh, the, in the English language. If you read it in the, and heard it out of the Greek, you'd say hippo something. It means hypocrite. It's play acting. That's what he was play acting about. And he says, don't be play acting. Have you ever noticed how often we can play act something? Oh, I'm not talking about charades. I'm not talking about other things, but I'm saying in play acting in, oh, I care about you. Baloney? Do we really? We need to ask God to work on us on those parts where we, where we don't. 
asking God to help us on those parts where we should and we haven't done it. Well, hypocrisy Hypocritic actions can be rampant. And we know when we are blowing a smoke screen, don't we? Don't do it. The world is looking for genuine people, people who care. And you know, when you play act like you're trying to help somebody, when you're play acting with them, they pretty well know it too. We, we, let, it, we let it loose pretty easily. So, Apply these principles without plaque. Which ones? All those that I read. By the way, you can relax just a little bit. I'm two-thirds of the way through. I'm not going to re-say those things. But I'm telling you, I want you to go back and look at them again. Because there's some precious things in there that help us to form our character. Live showing the changes in your life. I don't know about you. Well, a few of you I do. But when, when Christ came into me, he changed me in a lot of ways. And he's still working on me today. I'm 78 years young, old. You'll get there if you live long enough, too. But he still works on me. And when he doesn't, you know what happens? My wife reminds me. That's not a bad thing. I thank God for Joan. Because she says, that didn't sound like it ought to be, Bill. Okay, do you mind if I say that? Well, down in my heart, my old mean self says, I want you to shut up. No, dear, go ahead and say it. And my wife, because she too is working on these things, she gives me spiritual insight. You know what? I go to a men's group on Saturday mornings. I missed it yesterday because I was on the radio on a Zoom meeting. But I find that they help me. Our small groups help each other. That's precious. That's priceless. The changes in our life need to show to other people. People are watching. They're watching you. They're waiting for valid proof that someone is real, genuine, and cares about them as a person. They're watching you, and they're watching me. And when you're changed, they'll notice it. When you have to come back and say, I blew that. I shouldn't have said that to you. Would you forgive me? Little little personal story here. I've had a problem with my phone for weeks. And finally, when I couldn't stand it anymore, and my wife said, if you don't go, I'm going to go. I was afraid she'd give me an iPhone. Anyway, uh, I did go to get my phone. I bought a phone. I got it all installed. I got it home. And somebody got word to me and says, you didn't answer your phone. About two-thirds of my phone would go somewhere else. Put a long story short, there was something bad in the phone. They've given me a new one, and so you know I'm not going to answer it now. Joan has it back there shut off. But in that process, I had so many times to the place I bought it, and then back to the, my, my provider, Verizon. And I went in there, and I was so upset. They said it was a SIM card, S-I-M card. Well, I'd never seen the thing. It's hidden inside the phone. But they wanted to put a new one in there, and I walked in there ready for to do it, said you have an appointment? No. We're not having appointments. We're only taking appointments today. I said, Mr., I've got a problem. We're only taking appointments today. I said, well, that's a good way for me to deal with this thing. Blah, blah. He said, sir, we've had a death in our staff 
and I didn't get to attend the funeral. I'm here trying to help people. I left. I walked out six foot four. I got to the car. I was five foot two. I felt terrible. And I told, started to tell John about how the guy had treated me, and I felt bad about even saying it. Monday morning, I was outside the store 20 minutes before they opened. When I walked in, I said, oh, Lord, maybe he won't be there. You know who met me? That same guy. I said, can we get things started differently? What's that? First, I want to apologize. He said, well, no, no. You have. I said, no, no, let me handle it. I want to apologize for how I felt. And I'm sure it came across that I was upset. He said, your phone wasn't working. We're going to fix it. I said, yes, sir, but let me, I just, I'm sorry. I, I know that you've had a, a death in your church, in your church, oh boy, yeah, in, in your office, and I'm concerned. He said, well, thank you. He said, uh, there are a lot of people in line, but I'm going to take you first. He sat there with me, put a new card in it. I thought it worked. It didn't. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was the phone. I ended up having to change the phone. But everywhere I went, I started saying, Lord, how can I be a witness to them? Now, my friends had called me, and one of them said he's going to watch today. Larry, I really did go back to Best Buy. And those guys says, he's here again. Who's going to be? I dealt with every one of their technicians. And they finally said, sir, there's something wrong with the phone. It's not you. It's not Verizon. Some, they replaced my phone. Made a mistake taking my wife with me. Before it was over, I had upgraded and paid another $100 to get a bigger and better phone because I, I was going to economy. My wife didn't want me to do that. But I looked back at that and I thought, I needed to be a better witness where I went. And I was trying to be that. And I believe I was. You see, you're on mission with God. You are on mission with God. That's what we're here to do. God gives us the freedom and joy to, to be busy doing things that will build up His kingdom and help people believe in Him. He waits for us to ask for His kind of wisdom to be doing what pleases Him and points others to Christ. It, it's true in your home, with your family, in your job, and throughout wherever you go throughout the day. One more thing. A transformed life will produce joyful living. I enjoy life. I got that phone fixed. You know what I did Saturday, Friday? My grass needed just a little bit of trimming. I was out halfway through the yard when I realized it was raining. <laughs> I was wet just top to bottom. And when I went in, Joan says, did you get wet? Yes, ma'am. But I really have that witness that I'd had this week with a dumb phone. And I prayed for those people. I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, maybe not you, but me. Because I want to be more like him. I want to be more like he wants me to be. Now, let's watch. Let me put it this way. Rejoicing with others in their hope, in their affliction, and by praying, that's what we do. That's what was in all that passage there. In hope, they're looking. They're wanting hope. They're wanting help. In affliction, we've got people that are hurting. When I asked that man, how was he doing with, about the man that had died? He says, well, we're reaching out to the family. We're doing some things. 
I tried in just a small way to show him that I cared. And I promised him that I'd pray for him. And I have been. Let's not bring the affliction. But be aware we need to respond to needs. I watched as a church in the Portland area did something. They started a new church. It was started about, oh, two years, three years before this church was started. Jeff Orge was the pastor. And Jeff said they started doing things to reach out to the people. If there was a need, they would meet the need. One of the things they started doing, they started just uh, people, when they leave their church to go to church that morning, they'd put something in the, in the uh, bread in the bread maker. And when they got home, they'd find out who had visited, get a fresh loaf of bread, and take that fresh hot loaf of bread and hand it to them. Another lady said she baked cookies just to tell people, don't want to come in, we just want to say thank you for coming. I thought that was pretty neat. But you know what we're doing here at this church, providing things at the school? I bought many backpacks, haven't you? Every year we have backpacks that we give away to the school. I've seen some of those kids walk to school and they have their backpack. They're so happy with that. Bought an extra one for my grandson. Oh, boy. Sometimes we have to wait until there's a need, a crisis maybe, even a lawn that needs to be mowing to show ministry. Here's something else you can do. You go visit somebody in the hospital. Pray with them. Say, may I pray for you? As I was a pastor, when I went to the hospital, people... They expected me to do their praying. But I'll tell you what, when one of our members went and they prayed, they said, boy, that was so special. John or Joe or whoever it was stopped by, they prayed for me. You have a powerful impact by being who you are when you're his, by doing what you should do when you live for him. That's what it's about. Your ministry is magnificent, and it'll be a blessing. Pray with them. Another little thing here, watch your inward attitudes. Look inward and ask why and control your personal attitudes toward others. It'll affect how you respond. My tongue rebels at that. I have a sharp tongue. You ever have one of those? I'm not asking you to put a, cut it off, but uh, <laughs> sometimes it almost seems like it'd help. Ask God to change you and your heart, your tongue, if that's where it is. But give him control of your life. So how do you do that? Let me give you a little thing that happened to me. Let's see. It happened in 1961 to 65. 61, I started college. 65, I graduated. During my college days, I worked as a student helper in one of the departments, the social sciences department. That's history and all those kinds of things. It was, it was a good part. But when the person who's going to have all of them in there, the department head, saw my name, she said, I want him and me in my area. Now, this was kind of scary to me. She thought it's so funny to have me there. Her name was Dr. Yvonne Phillips. Same last name. I don't think she ever caught on fully that behind her back I would call her Aunt Yvonne. She never threw me out, but I finally confessed it to her <clears throat> after I graduated. 
but her longtime secretary was Mrs. Gertrude Solomon. Now, Gertrude seemed to enjoy being hard on the students. She had a caustic tongue, and she'd tell us explicitly and many times repeatedly what we did wrong and how we ought to be doing and how we shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that. And she did it hard enough that many of them quit. Well, I needed the 25 cents per hour. And I remember when I got a 35 cents an hour. And finally, I got up to that 50 cents an hour the year I graduated. She worked on me so hard. One day, it was just the two of us in the office. I want to know something. Yes, ma'am. Why are you so nice to me when I'm so mean to you? Hard on you and all. You see, she knew I was a Baptist and was active in the Baptist Student Union. And she was very active in, as a Roman Catholic. And she thought there was some kind of big rivalry between the two of us, I guess. But when I told her, uh, there's a reason in the Bible, she said, oh yeah, what is it? I quoted this. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll heap fiery coals of, head, of, of, coals of fire on their head. I said, Mrs. Solomon, I think I'm just going to burn you up with kindness. And she looked at me. I said, it is in the Bible, you know. And she burst out laughing. Well, how did that go? Her eyes got big. And I told her I was going to burn her with kindness. And we laughed. In my junior year of college, she was diagnosed with a very serious could have been terminal illness. They told me she wasn't in the office, and I got off work. I went to the hospital. I walked in her, what are you doing here? I said, I came to see you. I care about you. And I talked with her a bit, and she, she told me she was scared. I said, could I pray with you? You're not the priest. I said, no, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just Bill. Could I pray with you? And I prayed for her. I remember putting my hand on her hand and praying for her. And I looked up when I got through, and she was crying. She said, thank you. I graduated the next year. Gertrude Solomon threw a party for me in her home. She had Dr. Phillips. She had my mom and dad, my siblings, and several of my friends in her home. I became a friend to someone who was, just didn't want to be a friend to anybody. Now, folks, the Bible says, if you'll do this, It'll change them. That's the whole thing back there. Do you know where this is found? In the book of Proverbs. Proverbs uh, 25, verses 21, 22. The same one that Paul wrote. He says, we need to find out what it says, and we need to apply it. You know, I got excited about that. I think the coals warmed our heart rather than burning her up. Because Gertrude Solomon became a friend. That's when I first started teasing her and saying, I, uh, well, I'll pray for you. She said, you better watch it, boy. Yes, ma'am. The last thing I want to say is we need to operate as godly family. How do you do that as a family? Here it is. You think about that which would please God in what you do. You think about being nice to everybody in your family with wording, all of that. 
And out of that, that's your practice ground, if you will. And as you go out from there, it begins to apply everywhere you go. It becomes a breeding ground for all of that. You see, God's principles are so clear that the father and mother are to lead their children in the ways of the Lord. It's not just up to the mother to do the spiritual things. My old Cajun great-grandfather told me, each pot sits on its own bottom, boy. To me, that meant that each person is accountable to God. We're personally responsible to him. Allow him to enter you and take over your life. So how do you apply all this stuff? I didn't, I didn't deal with all those words in there, did I? No, I didn't. I want you to take them, go back and look. They're on your, on your flyer. Read those again. Ask God to show you something, and you apply it. Because here's the one thing about this whole message is this. Living for Christ is the result of a transformed heart with a personal commitment that produces an amazing witness everywhere we go because the world is watching for you. Now here's what I want to do. I want to close this time together and pray two prayers. And the prayers are simple. The first one is about what I really put all the way through this. It's about relationship with God. It's about a personal relationship with a God who loves us and wants to work with us. So let's pray. It may be that today you've not made that clear. You can do it right now. Pray a prayer like this. Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me of the sin in my life and to forgive me of the sin of not trusting and believing in you. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. Help your word, the Bible, to teach me. And help me now to walk in a newness of life, in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Father, in that same way, many of us here have started that walk. Some have been on the walk a long time. And I ask that you right now that you would help us to find peace with you in being obedient, in trusting, and being all that you've called us to be and to do. Bless us. We know you want to. Help us not to get in the way to block the blessings that you're giving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the people said, Amen. God bless you.